0: How's everybody doing today? Good? <laughs> doing good? Uh, well, as you said, I'm Pastor Josh. I am one of the pastors here, uh, newly, newly ordained, along with these other two guys that are up here. Um, so I am glad to be up here today to be able to walk through the, the God's Word together. Um, so let's, that's, uh, that's what we're going to do. Open up your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 is where we'll be uh, going from... Verse 1 to uh, verse 10. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we do have some outside in the lobby, I believe. Um, So uh, we'd love for you to go grab one. That's what we're going to be doing every single time. I believe that Pastor Sam and the rest of the staff will agree with me that this is the most important thing that we do here, is go through God's Word and sing praises to Him, sing His Word back to Him. Um, So that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be focusing in God's Word today. Um, So if you don't have a Bible, please go grab one. Uh, But Let me lay out before we start to read a little bit of where we've been. I don't know if you know, but last week we kind of closed up the most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, preached by Jesus himself. We spent quite a time going through that, and it actually starts in Luke chapter 6, verse 20, just maybe a page over. So let me kind of go through what Jesus covered and how that's going to bring us into where we are with this centurion man. So, Luke chapter 6 and verse 20, it shows the, the Beatitudes. Blessed are, are those who are poor in spirit. And then we see that contrast in verse 24 but woe to you who are rich. The poor in spirit are the, the ones who understand they are not in a worthy standing, they understand that they are not uh, righteous in their own doing. And then the ones in verse 24 are the ones who believe that they, they are righteous, the ones that believe that they are, are, are good enough on their own that they can work their way there. And then uh, later on, next we see that, um, that Jesus teaches on something that is c- contrary to what uh, most have been taught, and that is to love your enemies um, instead. And I believe that Pastor Sam and even Pastor Lonnie kind of titled it that it's, it's the upside-down teaching. It's, it's co- something completely different than what they knew or what they understood it to be, but really that's the, that's the right way, that's God's way. Um, and then we see that uh, Jesus also taught about judging others and, and how to do that rightly, not from a hypocritical approach, but from checking your own self, doing it in the right heart. And then uh, that moves us on to... What was covered last week and then a few weeks prior to that 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 jesus speaks on how you can see the fruits of a true disciple um to examine ourselves and are we producing the good fruits that that a that a disciple of christ would or then also he jesus speaks on the truth of salvation the difference between the those that speak well of him with their lips but they don't honor him with their hearts um so be the one that builds your house on the rock and not on the sand that's going to quickly wash away when, when the storm comes. Will you be able to withstand that judgment, that persecution that comes? Will you be right before God? That All, all of these things of what Jesus talked about really ties into uh, the faith that we must place in him. All of these things do. There are so many other things. There's, there's humility in there. There's genuine of heart in there. But then ultimately there's, there's faith. There's this this strong faith that you must have, and so we're going to see that today as we look at this centurion man, um, a marvelous uh, ex- explanation of, of genuine and true uh, faith that this man has, has shown, and he's a, he's a Gentile man among uh, Jewish leaders. He's a man that, that you would not think has this type of faith, but... Um, we're going to see that today. So let's pray as we do, um, and we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 7. Father, thank you for uh, bringing everyone here today, giving us the, the, uh, the place to gather, the place to meet, um, the lights and the, the heater, or if we even have that on, I don't know. Um, but Lord, I just thank you for the time that we have to freely open up your word, to freely uh, look at it and talk openly about your word So, Lord, I pray that you will be here. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will move and that you will um, use me just as someone to to speak the truth of your word, Lord, that it will be of you and everything will be true and clear um, today. We pray that in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so like I said, we're in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 1, but also I would ask you to take your Bibles and turn over to Matthew 8 and hold that spot. Uh, It is the same account for Matthew 8, um, but we're going to see a little bit on the differences of what Matthew kind of focused on and then also what Luke focused on. They both were saying the same thing, but Matthew was very, very focused on the faith, whereas Luke wanted to show the character of this man who had great faith. So Luke chapter 7, verse 1. um, I'm going to read, and then I'm going to kind of lay out of where we are. Starting in verse 1. After he had finished all his sayings, In the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Um, There's a, a lot of uh, different things that we're gonna see in here, but first I wanna lay out kind of where we are. As I said before, we were coming from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uh, preaching and, and laying things out in a way that they've never heard before. Um, and then it says that after, in verse 1, it says, after he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is, from where Jesus was on this mountain, it's about 16 miles. Not For them, that was a normal walking distance. Now, that's a rough estimate. I'm not sure exactly if it's 16 miles, but from what I saw, it's, it's approximately 16 miles from where Jesus was teaching. And so he's walking into Capernaum, but we know that, that Jesus has, has been there before. We have seen uh, this town before. So Jesus does have a history there. In, uh, in Matthew 4, 12 through 16, I won't have us turn there, uh, but I'm just going to kind of briefly tell you what it is. Jesus lived there for a time to fulfill, not only to fulfill prophecy, but, uh, but he did live there for a time when John the Baptist was arrested and uh, by Herod Antipas. So a, as John the Baptist was arrested, he went over, Jesus went over to Capernaum and lived there for a time. So people knew him. People knew who he was, but also while he was there, we see in Luke 4, 31 through 32, that Jesus taught there. He taught in the synagogues. He did miracles there. He healed. He did a great thing. So you would, you would know that Jesus' reputation has grown since uh, since he first started his ministry. He's very well known by these people. And so he's, he's in Capernaum again. And we can imagine that not only the people who were there on the Sermon on the Mount that were following him, but... Uh, to the Sermon on Mount, they followed him to Capernaum. So there's a lot of people with him. Word has gotten out already that Jesus is back in Capernaum, and this centurion hears that and he wants uh, to speak to Jesus. He wants to see Jesus, and um, and so he does. He he sends elders to go to Jesus. Sorry, I gotta switch my notes around. But um, but yeah, Jesus has already been there. His reputation is well known, and um, and then we see. Um, something that I want to lay out before we get into the points is the character of this centurion. Like I said before, in Matthew 8, there are different accounts. uh, Not different accounts, they're the same account with slight wording differences because Luke is focusing on the character that this centurion has in his faith. So what is a centurion? A centurion is a Roman uh, soldier, uh, pretty high up in rank. Today's military, he'd be the equivalent of a captain uh, sometimes even a major, depending on how much authority he has or how many people he has under him. But he is the equivalent of a captain, and he, like he said himself, that he would tell people to go and do things, and, and they followed his his order. Um, but also we see that these men are men that follow the law. They try to uphold the law. They want to do what is right. In Acts 22, 25 through 26, Paul has been teaching, the Apostle Paul, he had been teaching and people did not like at all what Paul was teaching. We know that as we continue to read. Paul was whipped many times. But they, they grabbed Paul, and they basically brought him before, and they, they strapped him up. When they whipped people, they would strap them up, kind of tighten their back up, and then they would whip them. But he says to the centurion guard, he says, is it lawful for you to whip a Roman citizen? And so when that centurion heard that, they didn't know at the time that Paul was a, a, a Roman citizen. But when he heard that, he stops everything. He says, we need to give this guy a rightful trial. We cannot whip a Roman citizen before he's been brought before. And then Acts 23, 23, um, we see evidence of the authority that these men had. He's, they're over around 100 men or more together. They had two centurions that were given the order to take 100 men each, 200 at a time, uh, together. And then also a bunch of horses and, and stuff to, to, to go Together, So these men are in high authority, they are well-respected, but they also are men of high character. Um, So let's look at verse 2 through 3, which brings us to our first point. Our first point is uh, he responds to Jesus' authority with a genuine heart. This is a man of high authority. This is a man who is well-respected, who has a lot of his his own uh, things that he could say, well, you know, I'm I'm worthy of these things, but instead... um, In verse two, now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. Now verse two, when I'm when I'm reading through this and studying it, things pop out to me that that I'm like, Well, the word servant there, as you look in the Greek, is actually doulos. It's it's slave or servant, but essentially this man was a slave who he's caring for. Now you have a, a centurion guard who is at his position. He's caring for a slave. During the time that the slaves were to do work, they were, they were basically a tool to get things done. And if one were to die, they would just get another one sent to take his place. But this man has compassion. He has a genuine heart, and in his genuine heart, it draws him to seek in his, in his true loving, it causes him to seek the one that he knows has authority over life. So in his loving of this servant, he hears that Jesus is, is in Capernaum again, and so he says, I know he can heal. I know Jesus has authority over life. And he sends um, these Jewish elders, or asks them basically, to, to go to Jesus and ask him if he would heal this man. So that's verses 2 and 3, and I'm going to read a couple of verses that kind of show the, the uh, I guess, example of how this, this centurion is actually living out. In John 13, 34 through 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And then Uh, the fruits of it is in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, this centurion didn't have uh, the letters from John. He didn't have Galatians. But what my point is, is that this man is displaying this genuine heart, this genuine love for, for a slave and um, that speaks a lot of his character. Um, his genuine heart caused him to seek Jesus, like I said before. Seek the one who has authority over life. And that draws him into, still connected with verse 3, that, that this centurion had, um, he responds to Jesus with, uh, Jesus' authority with humility. Um, and we're going to see a contrast in these, these verses between the Jewish elders and this centurion man himself. But let's look at verse 2 again. Verse 2 through 7a says, Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. And that's where we'll pause for a minute. But we see that he he sends some elders. he, He asks elders to go appeal on his behalf. For the reason that we see is that because he knew that, or he did not hold himself worthy enough to even be in the presence of Jesus. But these Jewish elders had a a difference. That's where, as I'm reading, I'm seeing the differences, the contrasts, as we all should be doing. But we we see that the Jewish elders, what did they say of him? They said that he's worthy for, for Jesus to do this. They said, Jesus, you basically owe him this. This man is worthy for you to go and heal his servant. Because the Jewish elders were looking at this man's works, this man's deeds, uh, for his the merit of calling him worthy, calling him righteous, basically. They're saying this man's worthy, you need to go and heal his servant because he he has earned this, is what they're saying. And we see this often with with the Jewish elders, which is going to get to our point of of what true faith is. But in Luke 517, which we've already been through this, Luke 5, 17 through 24, Jewish leaders, Jewish elders, they approach Jesus in and they don't directly say this. Jesus basically hears it from their heart. But he healed a paralyzed man. Jesus did. And he said, your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk. And theirs were, their question was, who is, able to say, who is able to forgive sins other than God? And then in Luke 5, 27-32, they said, why do you sit with sinners and tax collectors? When Jesus was sitting with them and he was, he was talking and eating with them, they asked, why do you sit with sinners and tax collectors? The Jewish elders and leaders, they would hold themselves at a, at a much higher standard. They would say that these people are not worthy of my time. I don't need to sit with them. But Jesus did something completely the opposite. He went and sat with them because he said that he didn't come to save the righteous, but the unrighteous. That's also in Luke. That was his response to them, that he came to save He didn't come to save the righteous, but the unrighteous. In Luke 5, 33-35, they say, why do you not fast like John's disciples or like the Pharisees' disciples? Why did Jesus and his disciples not fast the same way that they were? Another deed, another work that they were counting as, as worthiness or righteousness. And Jesus' response was a beautiful response that I know that they did not fully understand during that time. But his response was, why should they fast when the bridegroom is with them? Jesus is the bridegroom. And he says, why should they fast when, when the bridegroom is with them? There will come a time when, when the bridegroom will not be and fasting and prayer will be needed. That was his response to them. And then in six, Luke 6, 1 through 5, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, were picking grain as they're moving about, as they're going away because they're hungry. And, um, and they say, why do y'all pick or why do your disciples pick uh, grain on the Sabbath. It was a Sabbath day. And they were considering picking grain as a work, um, something contrary to what uh, they believed. And that was another, another thing that they kind of like added on to the law, saying that this was unnecessary. But then Jesus replied to them, do you not remember when David went into the temple and, and ate because they were hungry? They needed the food. And then um, in Luke 6, 6 through 11, Jesus heals again. Now, if we go to 6, 6, 11, Jesus basically, he knew what they were thinking. He knew what they were doing, and he still did it. They were waiting for Jesus to heal this man with a withered hand because they wanted to have something to call against him. And Jesus calls that man up front, and he says, stretch out your hand. And so he does. And why do you heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus responds to them, um, he responds to them with, "Should I do good or should I do evil? Should I take heal life or should I take life?" To them, um, but we see there there is that difference. They're looking at works. They're looking at deeds and to to earn your merit, to earn your worthiness, uh, in, in standing. And so they were holding this centurion because of the things that he did for them. They were holding him at a point of he's worthy because of what he has done. But First Samuel sixteen seven. Um, shows us some truth. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. In several of these accounts that we've already talked about, these people didn't, these Jewish leaders didn't speak out loud to Jesus. They were thinking it inwardly, but Jesus knew what they were thinking. The Lord knows the heart. Man, they look on the outward appearance. What has been done? What, What are they doing to be worthy? What are they earning, right? And so we see evidence from this centurion again that he is a man who responds to Jesus' authority and humility because he sees himself not as worthy. In Romans twelve thirteen, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And then in Philippians, I know we have students in here. We've been going through Philippians. Any of y'all want to recite it? No? No? <laughs> We've been going through Philippians for a while, but Philippians 2, uh, 3 through 4 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. I mean, that goes back to the genuine heart as well. This man, he was looking to uh, the interest of this slave, and he was doing it from a humble heart as he approached Jesus to, to appeal on uh, hopefully that Jesus would save this this slave, this servant for him, um, because he loved the servant. He loved the the servant so much that he was um, willing to to request that Jesus would heal. And so my next point, not ne- not next point. Sorry, I want to read from from Romans three nineteen through twenty. Um, the Jewish elders thought that upholding the law. Um, are doing good things, doing good deeds, would earn their righteousness. But truly, the law is what reveals our unrighteousness. So in Romans three nineteen through 20, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin." I mean, that's beautiful that's, that's to know that the law is necessary. It is good. It's good, and all of what God's Word is good because it shows us that we aren't righteous. We need to know that there is a way to be made righteous, and that's through Christ. But he's saying that you cannot do enough good works no matter how, how closely you keep the law. We are all unrighteous because of our sin. can't uphold that law. But well, we're going to read through and kind of go all the way, not all the way through, but a good bit more through Romans 3:19 through, I want to say like 26 or something in just a little while. But that brings us to our last point with, uh, in Matthew's account, Matthew really focuses on um, his faith. And Luke's account, like I said before, he, he puts in the, the character of the centurion pointing at his great faith. But the third point says he responds to Jesus' authority with full faith. Habakkuk 2.4 says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. I tell you that this centurion man, through um, what he has shown us, that he is not a man that is holding himself uh, up. He's not puffed up. He's not righteous. He's, he's a man that is in authority in, in a sense. He's, he's very highly ranked in the Roman uh, army. But he's, he's lowering himself to a point, he's like, I know that I am not worthy to be in the presence of Jesus. I know that. But let's, let's, let's continue on and see that the centurion understands the authority that Jesus has, the authority that Jesus has over life. So let's read those verses in verse 7b through 10. Going from the humility to the faith that made Jesus marvel. I'm um, sorry, i got to turn back to it. Verse 7, uh, starting... Yeah, well, let's just read through 7. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say, to one go, and he goes, and to another come, and he comes, and to my servant do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him said... I tell you, not even in in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Jesus marveled at this man's faith. We see that this man, like I've said before, that he is a centurion. He is a man of authority. So he understands that type of role. He understands what authority takes and how it works. Um, But he even says that I'm not worthy. I'm under your authority, Jesus but it's pretty awesome to see that this man says to his his soldiers he says go do this to his slaves he says do this do that and they'll do it there's no question about it and so his faith is so strongly rooted in the lord that he says i know that you have divine authority jesus to say the words and this slave will be healed and matthew's account it says that the slave was paralyzed And uh, Luke's account says that he was sick to the point of death. Both of them say he was to the point of death. We don't know exactly the sickness, but we do know that this slave was close to death, that there was no real turning back other than a miracle that only Jesus could do. And this centurion saw that, something that all of Israel has not shown faith in. It's pretty amazing to see that this man has that understanding. And not to mention, I also didn't say he's a Gentile, Um, These Jewish elders are the ones that appealed to um, Jesus because Jesus was a Jew. And uh, this man was a Gentile, but he shows great faith. And um, that's where I want us to go and look in just a second. But there's only one other account in Scripture that shows Jesus marveling at anybody, at people. But it's on the opposite end. Jesus marvels at this centurion for the great faith that he has showed. And in Mark 6, 6, Jesus marvels at their disbelief, and he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went about among the villages teaching. That's the same account that we've already went through. In Luke, it doesn't say that he marveled their disbelief because Luke was more focused on how they hated Jesus, how they wanted to kill Jesus in their unbelief. Jesus taught in the synagogue. Again, This was in a different area in Nazareth, but he was rejected by his own people in Nazareth, and they wanted to kill him. In Mark's account, it says that he marveled at their unbelief. The only two accounts in Scripture where Jesus marveled at anyone, and it's on two opposite ends. Jesus marveled at their their unbelief. um, But I also want to say that this, this centurion, I don't think we should think of him in a place that well, that's just some special faith. That's a faith that maybe I will never have. We shouldn't think of it that way. We should think of it of, this is an example that has been placed here that we should have the authority, I mean, we should have the faith in Jesus' authority completely without any doubt. This centurion had it, but it's not a faith that, that is just too great. It's a faith that it's here for a reason, it comes straight after the Sermon on the Mount into this example of that being lived out in, in a centurion. But I do believe that this man's faith was not just a faith of saying that Jesus could heal, but a faith that was saving. The reason why I say that is if you turn, like I said, hold your spot in Matthew 8. Turn to Matthew 8, um, and we're going to read two verses, just 11 and 12. Wait for a second. Uh, Matthew 8, starting in verse 11. I'll wait for the papers to stop, and then we'll start. (laughs) But in verse 11, we see that this is the same account again, I'll say. Uh, it's the same account. But then Jesus says, I tell you, many will come from east. This is verse 11, sorry. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, they will come from east and west and recline at the table with the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, while the sons of the kingdom, Israel, Jews, not all but the majority, they will not because their faith is not in the Lord, their faith is not in Christ, theirs is in their their merit, their works, their deeds, they think that they can earn it. But this gentile, this Gentile, it came straight after that account. So we see that that, that, uh, that centurion's faith was, was a true faith that would be saving faith. And so our response to this, like I said before, should not be that this is just some amazing faith that we, we won't have. We should, and we should seek to have this type of faith that is a humble faith, a genuine heart, full, uh, full of faith in the authority of Jesus, knowing that, that he has been given all authority. And we're going to see in a second that Jesus, he did perfect that. He was the perfect sacrifice. And when he did that, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, having all authority. We're going to read that in a little bit. It's going to be in Hebrews. I, I don't have it up on the screen, but I'm going to ask everybody to turn to it in a little while. Now let's see what we are called to do. What, what should we have? It's the, in the great commandment. Matthew twenty two thirty six through 39. It says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law. Now this is the Jews again questioning Jesus, challenging Jesus, seeing if he knows it. And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Mark one fifteen tells us what we should do in believing in him. It says, and saying that the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is the same thing that John the Baptist was saying. Repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom is at hand. Now, when we repent and believe the gospel, this is the reason why we do it. In Romans three nineteen through 26, I told you we were going to read all the way through it, uh, through this point that I had. But Romans three nineteen through 26 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, And the whole world may be held accountable to God, for by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And that's what we read earlier. And as we continue through 26, it says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God I encourage you to, if you haven't already, or even if you have, continue to do it, but read through the book of Romans all the way through. Take your time going through it. It is a beautiful book with so much theology and truth in there. But we see that there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. Every single person is with sin. No one is without it. And because of that, we need a Savior. We need that propitiation. We need Jesus and his blood, which he has given but it has to be embraced with faith. In Romans 6, also, Romans six twenty three says the same thing, that for the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, because of how there is no distinction, everyone is with it. Everyone was with sin. Our earnings, our wage, what we deserve is death. But our God, which Pastor Taylor read it earlier, and we're going to read it in just a little bit, in Ephesians. But our God, but God is rich in, in mercy. And, and, um, Let me actually turn to that. I'll just read it real quick. Ephesians, Ephesians uh, two. Sorry. Yeah, Ephesians two. I'm going to read from from where we were on the screen in verse four. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then it continues on, going through verse nine, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That's the big point we've been hitting all day. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no man may boast, so that no one may boast. It is by faith. And so let, I'm going to ask you to turn again to Hebrews. I mean, we're doing some Bible drill here and I'm glad that we're doing it. We're glad, I'm glad that we have Bibles to do it with. But turn to Hebrews chapter 10. If you don't know where Hebrews is, it's towards the, the back of the book, um, right before the book of James. So turn to Hebrews In verse uh, chapter 10, and I'm going to read a a few little sections in there that show the faith that saves, the true faith that saves. So Hebrews 10, starting in verse 11. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 11, and it says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that, from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now we see that they used to make sacrifices to temporarily atone for sin, but it was never permanent. It was never good enough. It, all, it had to be continuous, daily, sacrifices all the time because it was never enough. But it says that Jesus perfected that. Not that the law was null and void. No, Jesus says that he came to fulfill the law. Here he said he perfected it. The sacrifices. He died. His blood makes it right. And he sits down at the right hand of the Father because he is the one who has authority over life. And, uh, and so now let's go over to uh, 10, verse 19. Right next door to it. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This hits all the points that we just saw a genuine heart, humble, humble. Full of faith says, draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, without any doubt, because Jesus, his death on the cross is what makes it possible to be with him. I'm going to show some other examples, just flip maybe another page over in Hebrews eleven. This would be another another beautiful passage, but we see the evidence of faith from the men of old before Jesus came. And there's so many, we're not going to be able to go through all of them. I just want to hit some wave tops and really just let you see that by faith, by true faith, these, these men and women were counted as righteous through the Lord because they had faith in Him only. Starting in uh, Hebrews, um, verse, verse 4. First, I'll read the first verse. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's verse 1. And we go down to verse 4. It says, By faith, Abel, the very beginning, the son of Adam and Eve, by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Because Abel did it out of faith. He wasn't holding back. He trusted the Lord fully with his his, um, sacrifice. By faith Abel. And then it says later on, if you keep reading that, that although he died, he still speaks. Abel did die. But because of that, that faith that he showed in the Lord, he still speaks. He's with the Lord, that true, genuine faith, full faith in the Lord. And then verse 5, it says, By faith, Enoch. Enoch didn't even die, God just took him. He didn't die. By faith, Enoch. And then in verse 6, it says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It's impossible to please God without faith, true faith, impossible. There's no other way around it. It's impossible. And then we see by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, by faith Sarah, what else? By faith Isaac, by faith Jacob, by faith Joseph, by faith Moses. I know it's repetitive, but I'm going to keep saying it. By faith the people crossed in Egypt, the people crossed the Red Sea. And then in verse 32 of 11, he says, and what more shall I say now? The author of Hebrews, we, we don't really know. We may say Apollos, but we actually don't know. We say that the author is, is God um, because we don't have the name of this author. But this author says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. Now, none of these men or women were great beyond their own measure, but they had true faith, genuine faith in the Lord. And that genuine faith is what saved them. So, again, read through Hebrews, read through Romans, read through the Bible, spend time diving in God's Word. It's the most important thing that we can do, spending time in God's Word. Um, But as we have covered it, I want us to read Romans 10, 9 and 10, just an example from Paul about how we confess our sins or how we we confess that Jesus is Lord. And Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, because if, we confess with, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This is not only an outward expression with your mouth, because Jesus said, they speak well of me. It's actually a, a quote, quotation from the prophet Isaiah. But they speak well of me with, with their lips. But with their hearts, they're far from me. They don't love the Lord. They just say they do. This needs to be a true, genuine faith from the heart, in humility. And so we see that. and then also so let's just look at the points. We, the three points that we have is the, centur- the centurion responds with a genuine heart before Jesus and His authority. Point two says the centurion responds with humility towards Jesus and his authority. The centurion responds with full faith in Jesus and his authority, without any doubt. He knows that this, this Jesus that everyone is speaking of, who is back in Capernaum, he knows that all he has to do is say the words. The centurion didn't even want to have Jesus under his house because of how unworthy he saw himself. That that man saw his his self full of sin, but he knew that Jesus could save and all he had to do was say the words. And we sang a song earlier, it was actually the last song before. Um, I started to talk, but it's a new song that um, the band wrote from Psalm 2. And the very last verse says, blessed are those who find refuge in the Lord. And that is such a true and beautiful statement from the psalmist, that we, we are blessed only because we are in the Lord. Um, so I pray that you will, you will ponder on these things, and if you don't know the Lord, um, Spend some time, read through Romans, read through Hebrews. Talk to anybody here on staff. We're more than happy to talk you through this, but know that the way to the Lord is through true faith and genuine faith in Him. So let's pray. Father, thank You for the time that we've had here today to, uh, to dive in Your Word, to see what You have for us, Lord. I pray that, um, that we reflect Uh, not on this centurion man, but on the faith, the true, genuine faith that was looked to Jesus in, the true faith that that saw Jesus as divine and having authority over life, over sickness, over everything. I pray that we will have that true, genuine faith, knowing that that you are capable of anything and that we need to just rest in you and find refuge in you. Um, So I pray, pray that we will all do that today and not leave um, with any doubt. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.